Welcome to the Greyhound Girl podcast with your host, Dimity Ma. Don't forget, you can follow her on Facebook at The Greyhound Girl. Hi everyone, on this episode of the podcast I catch up with Hunter Valley trainer and breaker Tony Forbes who took out the squizzy final at Taree last Wednesday with the talented chaser Weffley Shield. We had a chat about what it was like to win that feature race and also touched on his many years of experience as a breaker which I'm sure will be helpful to anyone looking to pick up the lead and collar. I hope you enjoy this episode. So we'll go back to uh, we'll go back to Tari on uh, on Wednesday and yeah your um your boy Weffley Shield took out the the squeezy final fifteen thousand dollars to the winner and yeah you must have been wrapped with how he went from box eight. Yeah, I was I was really excited how he went the week before. He ran a, another good dog down. That's won fifteen races. It's very hard to run dogs down. That's won fifteen races. Yep, yep. And you said he's um. Yeah, you said his run home time too. You were very pleased with that. And then in the final, yeah, and his run home time was good. But in the final, he's run home quicker again. Um, he's he's never trialled on that track. He's had four starts now for um, four wins, two over the 500 and two over the 400, which is something special in itself, you know. Yep. Um, put a lot of dogs up there and... Uh, I wish Taree was in my backyard because I, I love the place. It's a, it's a good, spacious track, uh, and I've had some success there. I had some failures too, which you do, but, um, yeah, I was very proud of him. Yep. Very proud of him. What did you um? What did you think when you were sitting in second? Like he he you know just got the the leader um, Maldotti at the time the reserve runner you know run a bolter of a race. But yeah, what did you think? Did you think he got it once he hit the line? No, well, where I was watching it, you know, going towards the bullpen, where I was watching it from, I, I sort of give him a bit of a shout <laughs> between the turns. I said, and his kennel name's David, and I said, get after him, Dave. <laughs> and then when they straightened for him, I could still see he was behind, but then the the advertising and the boards and things, they go behind, so I sort of couldn't see the finish. And then... Uh, He's come into the bullpen and he's probably only half a length. I said, I don't think I've won this. Yep. And yep. Uh, then the steward called the numbers and everything and I said, who won it? And he said, number eight. I said, I won't swear. I said, you bloody beauty. <laughs> That's all right. You can swear on here. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it was a bit more than bloody, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> I was excited. Oh, that's outstanding. I mean, that whole litter is just going so good, um, the Sinachi Tweedy litter, and that was his 16th win from only 36 starts. And like you said before, how proud of him you are. And, yeah, that litter just keeps producing. Well, I'm sitting here watching the football and the races, and, and Sharon won another race tonight with um, Gypsy Flyer. Yep. And... Uh, the good dog uh, for Vincidor, it, it run, I don't know, about 2260. And Sharon's bitch is the gypsy flyer. She run uh, 92 or something. That was the only dog to break the 23 there tonight. So, uh, and I think that might be about eight wins out of or 11 or 12 starts or something. 
she's a very handy bitch too. And they're only still young, you know, this litter, very young. Yep. They're not three, they're not three until uh, Christmas time and um, they've got it all before them, I'm telling you. The, Sharon's got some a couple of them bitches. They can run up yep. there. Yep. What um what are you planning on doing with him now, Tony? Have you got anything sort of earmarked for his next campaign? Well, I'll keep him going while he is. I'm going to go to Goulburn on Tuesday and trial him. Yep. Um, I'll book some trials in the morning. I'm going to go. It's a, probably eight hours out of my life, but I don't care. The, the race down there, the southern, um, I'm not sure proper name of the it. Southern the southern stars? Nothing. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yep. Um, $50,000 race. You know, there'll be some really, really good dogs in it. And you, you, you won't win a $50,000 race race in mugs. But um, I'm going to take him down and trial him and then I'll probably put him up the straight at Richmond and then he'll start down there. Uh, I think I'll get a start with the way his form is, but there'll be – because there's only limited uh, limited heats by the reading of the uh, on the program. Yep. So anyway – I'll, I'll nominate him anyway and see how I go. Yeah, that's right. You've got to be in it to win it, as they say. Yep. You won't win home in the kennel. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Now, everybody sort of around, you know, around my area of the Hunter Valley knows you as, um, you know, a, a very knowledgeable man and a renowned breaker of greyhounds. How did you get involved in um, in the breaking side of things? When did that sort of uh, become appealing to you? Um, from a little boy. Um, my uncle Cliff, Cliff Russell, and my dad, uh, they used to go out to Buchanan and had a, a fixed wheel push bike um, set up and there used to be oh, 40, 50 dogs out there of a Sunday morning. Wow. And that's where they'd break their dogs in, up a hill. That By the time you got to the, the top of the hill, you were blowing. <laughs> it was only 250 <laughs> metres. And... and uh, they had a, a set of four boxes down the bottom and they used to put two or three race dogs in and, and the pups and let them chase them up the hill and and whatnot. And, and I'm still virtually off. Still, I've got a drag here. Um, they used to back, back the dogs in uh, their first few runs, especially pups. Uh, like put them in from the front. Yep. Not the back of the box. I still do that. Um and I'm breaking dogs in probably what I've seen for 50 years. I've still been breaking dogs in the same. I only I only do a few. Yep. Five or six a, a week sort of thing. Yep. And because um, I'm not sort of – it just it keeps me – I'm retired now, so it keeps me uh, head above water. Yep. Yep. But I've, I've been – since I've been out here on this – property which my, my uncle Cliff Russell he left this to me or my auntie Flo did uh, uncle Cliff died before her but um, yeah so it's got a lot of history this place and where I put the dogs up that's where we used to we used to come out and slip the dogs and there was no mowed grass or anything if it was if it was poor conditions where well, the dogs went up on small grass if not if we'd had a good season, they went up on long grass and we'd, we'd run them up the hill here. Um, and we'd done a lot of work here with dogs over the years. And 
and he had great success and so did my dad with different dogs, yeah. Yep. What are some of the, um, you know, probably the most notable dogs that people might know that have um, been through your property? Um, well, before I come out here, I had a, a really good staying bitch called Rollador Racer. She, uh, oh, I just forget how many races she won, but she, she was in the money all the time. I was... I won $36,000 with her and only paid about 60000 for my first house. So um, in in that text. And then the sister, Lou Caledonia, I won a, a good stay and race at Singleton with her and oh, different pieces. She gave me a big thrill uh, down Wentworth Park. I got beat three quarters of a length to go into the maturity. Uh, oh, no. In the semi-final, yeah, and got held up too. Yeah, and uh, that was that was one of the biggest thrills. But Rollador Racer led him up in a in a twenty thousand dollar race down there, a seven twenty meter race, and I got five grand for running second. That was enormous. <laughs> I was going to say back, back there, then, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, that was yeah, and but that bitch, she ran, uh, she ran. Uh, Second in three track records, that bitch. They break the track record three times, and and at that time, if you broke uh, anywhere near thirty five at Cessnock, you was absolutely flying. And she got down there a couple of times, chasing really good dogs. Yep. But uh, I had a when I started, I had a, a dog called Hunchback Boy. Uh, I got off Johnny Drinkwater, which had Abernathy Trial Track. Great people. Johnny and Margaret, and we used to lease dogs back then. And um, I had my eye on this pup in the runs that they had when they had up down there, and I ended up leasing him. And I won his first – he was my first dog that I trained outside of sort of Dad and Uncle Cliff, you know. Yep. And I won three races, his first three races with him. He was a real handy dog. I won a couple of free-for-alls with him and – Really good box dog. Yeah, nice. No, very had, good. Over the years, I've had a, I've had some. I, I had a dog. I'm just trying. I was trying to remember his name the other day. I was telling about a red dog that if you break 29 at Beaumont Park back there in the, in them days when Beaumont Park was going, you were absolutely flying. And as a young dog, he ran uh, 28.70 a couple of times, and I had him set up for a race. A maiden heat and final down there, and he broke his hock in a four dogger the week before. I could have cried. Oh. But yeah, we've all got sad stories. Yeah, but you remember the you remember the good times more. But no, I've had some handy ones over the years, some some handy ones, and and had some duds like <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's not um, it's not for, racing's not for all of them. <laughs> no, it's not. And and yeah. You, but uh, they're great. They're great dogs. Who, yeah, this this adoption program and things and that they've got now, it's really good because, like I've had a couple of old dogs I've kept here, and uh, you don't want to see them rot in the yard. You know, like you, you can't you can't do them justice in the yards. You try to. I had a good dog. I only just he only just passed away not long ago. Morningtown man. Um, at the time, I was working down the coal loader and that, and uh, 
I let Neville Broadbent. Oh, I didn't let him. I asked him would he take him up to for the Butch Monkley, and he won the Butch Monkley with him. But that dog, they tell me, he was the only dog I started in the year before, and he ran third in the heat. Anyway, he done a wrist, and I put him out in the paddock for six or eight months, and I brought him back in. Anyway, I was through work and that. I couldn't get up there, so I said, you want to take him up? He said, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And a real good mate of mine he is. And I said, well, I'll take him in the Cessnock and trial him. And I said, so, yeah, what do you think? He said, has he had much work? I said, no, no, not much. So we took him to trial in there and he ran about, if you break 16, you were going really good. And I think he ran about uh, 1565 and Neville said, yeah, I'll take him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So he went up there and it was a big thrill. He won the heat in 21... 21- 72, and I think he won the final in about 21.73. And uh, Neville had him for about 12, he only raced for about 12 months, and uh, he won 14 races with him. Yeah, you know, it's a credit to how he had the dog going. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, he, he he passed away on the property. So did Rollador Racer and Blue Caledonia. They're, they're buried out the front of my house. Oh, nice. Nice. So... Yeah, no, lovely. Going back to your, your break-in, and I mean, I, I see more and more people sort of starting to, you know, with obviously the rising cost of living and all that, it, it you know, kind of makes sense, but a lot of people have started sort of breaking in their own dogs and, you know, learning the process of it and, and all that sort of thing. What um is there one or two things you can touch on that you found, you know, just work for you when, you know, you're breaking in the dogs, you know, just to help them, you know, learn what it's all about? Not too much squeaker, let them chase. Yeah, right. Let them chase more yeah. than catch. Let them chase. Because in the wild, how many times do they chase before they eat? Yep. So let them, let them chase, not catch. Um, yep. And back them in the box. So first, when I come here, they have two or three hand slips and then they have three f- from the front of the box and then three from the back of the box and then I'll, I'll do a little bit of work on the bull ring and then they just to show them they're chasing something that's higher up now because all the laws are higher than they used to be. Yeah. And the, and they're, they've got the hoop arm, uh, so it's a different setup. Uh, the What they're chasing is up in the air uh, from the drag. So uh, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to get them to adopt to the hoop arm rather than the drag here, see? But I... I Anyone doing their own dogs, back them in the box. If you've got a single or two box, you, you can back them in, uh, put the lids down, keep them at the front. And because that's a habit you want to make with them is bring them at the front, to the front of the box. So they're right at the front and they've got their head down. Dog can't jump without his head. If his head's up, he can't jump. No matter how good he is, he, 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 he doesn't jump. He's got to have his head down, his bum up, and he'll come out, then boxes flying. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a good, that's an interesting point you make about the squeaker because I know, like, you know, when I've asked people for advice, they go, oh, you know, put the squeaker in with them early, you know, and, you know, sometimes people get a little bit paranoid. They go, oh, they're not really interested in the squeaker. I'm really worried and that sort of thing. But, yeah, you you obviously, it's not an overly big concern to yourself. No. Um, I see videos and things and pu- people selling pups and that with, 
with the dogs going on the squeaker. But if you watch the video carefully, you'll see three or four of the pups are not interested. Yeah. Um, because they go in and they're going to they're gonna get hurt. They get knocked around. They're not as aggressive as, as some. Um, if you're going to give the pups squeakers, give one or two at a time. Uh, get on the other side of the fence and let them all have a look at it and run up and down and, and that... They don't need they don't need that much until they get to a, a, an age where they're really going to gallop, and uh, you know anywhere from sort of 12, 13, 14 months on. I don't like breaking dogs in too early, especially a bigger dog. They're not developed properly. Me too. And, and yep. they're not mature. Yeah. They're still puppies, and and as you hurt their confidence when they're young, and it stays with them for a while. That's my opinion anyway but yeah. for what it's best but no this but chase you know, if you can set up a little bit of a drag anywhere you're at it's very hard in the backyard to do it but i know old blokes when i was a kid they used to have a, the the bunny would go around the, on the on the hills hoist you know on the clothesline <laughs> yeah for yep. the spring and they'd spin it round and round and it'd fly out and it'd be about a foot, two foot off the ground and the pups couldn't get it. You know, and then all of a sudden one would get onto it and, oh, yeah, I, I know blokes that still do it. Uh, <laughs> on and it, So they can't catch it in that short area. And that was the probably development of the bull ring. They didn't have bull rings when I was a young fella. No yep. one had them. Yep. And then all of a sudden someone came up with that bit of an idea and, they are good for young dogs. I don't think they're good for race dogs because it's putting too much pressure on their wrists and things like that and grabbing the law, pulling and shaking. If I do my race dogs on it um, just to freshen them up a bit, they've got the big black muzzle on so they're not pulling and reefing and hurting their neck or their backs or their chest or, or their stomach muscles. Yep, yep. Um, that, as a, and again, it's only my opinion. Yep, I, yep. What um have you found sort of, you know, like you said, you've been doing this a lot of years now. Do you find, you know, getting dogs to chase and, and all that sort of thing is, is easier now or do you find it's the same or is it getting harder? Like how do you find the whole process? And probably for the better, um, but uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't help. You know, but and that's that's if you limit limit your dogs to, to as I said, let them chase but not catch. Yep. And uh, you get good chases and you, and you'll go alright because a lot of the lot of the dogs now I don't think they've been educated properly and too so too much squeaker and too much every time they trial them they run on they run onto the um, and yep. give fight back or whatever you want to call it. And sooner or later, there's no interest there for the dog. Yeah. You yep. know, to, to what it was years and years ago. But um, you've just got to you've just got to adapt. But I like using a lot of noise. Um, yep. With work of the different noises, and you'll find that the different noises stimulate different dogs, and that's why we've got to have. It's a bit of I've been having a bit of a talk to the stewards and different people, we have to have the the squeaker that's at the tracks uniform. 
So if you're trialling at Sassnock or, or Maitland or anything, you want the same squeaker if you're going to go and race down at Bulleye. For instance. I went down to Bulleye here a few weeks ago racing the dog, the Weffaloe Shield, and the bloody squeaker weren't working at all. When I went down in the final, it still wasn't working. They were going to fix it. A, a $65 squeaker, they couldn't have it running. Yeah. Have, have it working. That's no good. That's no good for the game. Yeah. If, if you're educating your dogs on noise, we should have it uniform. Yep. Yep. And the same noise should be at Taree, is it Maitland, is it Bulleye, is it Wentworth Park? Yep. Yep. The same the boxes are the same. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, so the race, the race situation should be the same. But yep. anyway, uh, the powers will be will fix it up hopefully. What do you um, think of the silent lure? I think when I went to the opening of Musselbrook, I I don't think I'd ever been at a track with one before and someone said, oh, the dogs are racing. And I went, are they? Because I, I couldn't hear, couldn't hear the That's arm. That's right. It, it is. Um, the dogs will, will get used to that. They, it still makes a little bit of a noise, and you know what I mean, if you, you, you're listening, but not like the old Ratley. Yeah. I'll <laughs> break in tracks and I'll... Lawrence Murray's and and uh, Redgraves at Abermain and that they used to rattle. You could hear them. You could driving into the thing and you could hear them rattling around and the hair whizzing and singing and that. But um, no, but it's yet again. It's have some uh, same situation at every track, especially the race tracks. Uh, we we need the dogs to race. So where they race at one track. And the hair at uh, Richmond, very, very quiet too. Um, but I love the straight racing. Yeah. Uh, you go down there and trial them a few times and, and start them a couple of times and they soon, because you've got your short run-up, it's only about a four-second from the time you box, they go bang and they're out and you don't get that anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, I've never been to Hurlsville, but I'd, I'd like to go down and see it and, and a new one at Murray Bridge and that, where you've got the drag up at Capalabar, which is, is really good, I think. Um, I would have loved to see them put a drag in at Richmond when they done it, but it wasn't wasn't to be. But it's, it stops the dogs crashing over. Um, but that's the same for all dogs. The eight dogs in it, they've all got to deal with it. I was down there one day and I seen uh, Mr America, one of the best dogs I've seen, uh, I think he drew about box six, and I think he hit the five, the four, the three, the two, and the one before he straightened up. Yeah. <laughs> needless to say, <laughs> needless to say, he didn't win. But oh, geez, he was a he was a really good straight dog. Yep. But he just wanted to get to the fence, and but he was very quick early, so he could sort of overcome it a bit. But that day down there, he just collected everything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a bit like the domino effect. <laughs> yes, it was, and. and it doesn't matter how good you are if you haven't got legs and you're off stride. You can't gallop. You, you know, down at Richmond, what have they got? Uh, 17, 18 seconds to strut your stuff. If you, you lose five lengths down there, you got to be absent, out and out champion to be able to pick them up. Yeah, hundred percent. Being top grade, like he he was, he was a really good dog. Yep. yep. Yes, that um, uh, the one they're racing down there now that won the. The state of origin up there. Uh, shall not. Shall not. Yep. 
Very, very quick dog. Well, he's got a magnificent stride on him, but he, he can come out of a box. But he seems to go straight from, I've watched him down there a couple of times, he doesn't try to crash over as much. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's helpful if you've got a dog like that that can sort of hold their line a little bit. That's right, run straight. Yeah. yeah he's got to run straight out of any box, but he's a very quick dog. It's only a matter of time before he breaks a record at Richmond too, I think. Yep. Yeah, you'd think he'd have to go close um, close pretty soon by the looks of the way he's going. It's, yeah, it's only the it's only the weather and, and the state of the track, I think, that, you know, it'll hold him out. Yeah, yeah, that's Very right. Yeah. Um, if somebody came to you and said, you know, I've got a, a really bad box dog and, you know, what, what advice can you give me to, um, you know, maybe help them are there some dogs that just can't be helped no matter what you do or do you believe that every dog has some sort of improvement in them if they are got you know poor box manners there's only about two causes of of bad box dogs um they don't go to the front you've got to from breaking you've got to try to make a habit so you get get them to the front of the box in my opinion and the other one is that what we just spoke about is the noise of the law i've had them here and i've tried all sorts of things and i get them going really good up the straight and usually their first run back round a turn but the noise of the law from when you put them in the box when that they're right and as soon as that noise starts they lose it and they lose control of their, their emotions or whatever. Yep. And uh, they start dicky dancing around and, and stuff like that and trying to flip over and everything like that. I, uh, if I go to a new track, I don't like I see the, where the hair stops. If I give the dogs a stir up, I'll take them away so they can't – I'll just turn their heads or I'll cover their eyes so they can't see where the hair stops. Yep, yep. Because a lot of them are thinking, well, the hair's back there, I'm in here. And when they're very keen dogs, they just want to get out and get to it. Yep. But the noise, I've had a, uh, over the years, different blokes have brought dogs out, can you do something, Tony, and such and such. But I've had success with dogs that they couldn't box. Um, and... The, the way out that is you, you've got to take the anxiety out of them and feed them in the boxes is way to, do, to go there, I reckon. You give them a couple of feeds and then you start just throwing a bit of meat up the front and put them in so they go in and take the meat up. And it, I'm not saying it calms them, but it, the, the anxiety goes away. And you've got to do it for a week or ten days. You can't just do it... Um, you know, for two times and think it's going to work. Yep, yep. Now, other, other blokes will put, you put the, a bit of a teaser over the front of the box. I've done it. You get them, they won't come in the box, so you put this, your squeaker, um, your lure at the front of the box, give it a squeak, bring them to the front of the box, just pull it aside and the box pings and away they go. That works very good too on some dogs. But some, as you said, Debbie, some of them just, they're that keen and uh, they they lose they lose what they're doing the, yep. the the thought of coming out the box and everything and uh and it's very hard to correct because the noise 
Yeah, it, it just wrecks them, I reckon. But yeah. what we do, we can't. But then dogs like that might be good to at Richmond up the straight where there's not that much noise early or yep. uh, Musselbrook on the side of the hare or a couple of others. Um, I think the hare down at Bulleye is pretty silent too or you don't sort of hear it rattling or anything. But it's only a matter of trying, Demi, that's... Demi, that's your, your training, you know? Yeah. You know, bits and pieces like that determine whether, I'm not saying a good trainer or that, because a, a good trainer is a bloke with fast dogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. And you'd probably know more than anyone, you know, if you do have a dog like that, whether they, you know, a bit bit tedious with boxes or you know have a bit of a trouble getting them to chase and that sort of thing you know you probably can reiterate you got to be patient with them you have to you have to you you can't think fix things overnight i'm telling you and and sometimes and i've been guilty of it you try to reinvent the wheel and it don't work yeah but you know there's things that work and things that don't and um oh, let's try this, let's try that. Um, when they get to a certain stage, you're just making the dog worse. Yep, yep. You're just making them more anxious and more, uh, you know, and you know, sometimes they're better off just sticking them in the paddock for a couple of months and see if that, you know, let, especially when they're young, let them mature a little bit. Yep. And and, and see if that works. But, you know, it, you have to be patient with them. And every dog's, every single dog's different. Yep. They are, and you think you're going to train, have a kennel full of dogs and train them all the same way, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> you would know that better than anyone. <laughs> well, they're, they're all different. Yep. Um, they're, you know, they want to get out for a, a pee and go to the toilet and that, they're all different. Um, I let my dogs out five times a day, so they get regular. You, when you first get your break-ins, they're dirty in the kennel and stuff like that. But by the time they go home, they got used to the routine. And that's – I don't know too much about training dogs, but you, you can't have them busting to go to the toilet. Yep. That, that's only causing anxiety and, and stress, and that's that's what makes dirty dogs, I reckon. And then that, and they get into a habit again, and uh, yeah, you've just got to – well, you know yourself, Demony, if you want to go to the toilet, you've got to go, don't you? <laughs> oh, uh, have, having Crohn's disease, I certainly do. <laughs> that's right. I'm the same. And if you can't go, you start. The, the, there's all sorts of thoughts start going through your head. <laughs> I don't think dogs are much different. Yep, yep. <laughs> no, that's probably a good place to end on. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Greyhound Girl podcast and for your ongoing support of not only this podcast but of Greyhound Racing in general. Remember, you can follow Dimity at the Greyhound Girl on Facebook.